Standard out. Hello and welcome to episode 80 Step Shoulder to Shoulder podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match fan and once again, FO member by FO member. Today we are joined by none other than the notorious Ben Chi. Ben is joining us. He is, of course, our managed brand and community with a focus on player relations and Korean community outreach him as a marketing guru, fashionista, blogger, children's book author, and of course, Senor Listamos himself. So we are very excited to be welcoming Ben Chi. He will be joining us here for the interview portion of the show. First and foremost, my co-hosts, we have Christian Aparicio and Christopher Sines. Gentlemen, good evening. Welcome. Good to see you. Nice to see you. Very nice to get together again. Looking forward to this interview with Ben Chi later. But how are you guys doing? Everything's good. Everything's good. You know, just uh, allergies. Kicking my butt. Kicking, you know, my kid's butt. It's uh, it's just, we're all one big allergy-infested household right now. We're all nasal congestion and fatigued and it's miserable. You do sound younger, though. I would say that. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you. First item, okay. in terms of news and notes, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but LAFC announced that Larry Friedman and John Thorrington will officially share the role of co-presidents effective immediately. The two had been serving in the interim role since August of last year. So John Thorrington was LAFC's first EVP of soccer operations and general manager. And then Larry Friedman, LAFC's chief business officer, I think, in my opinion, it's well-suited uh, for both of them, what they've given to the club, but wondering what your opinions are, this announcement. This is the best news ever. I mean, obviously, they've already been in the roles as interims for some time. They've done fantastic work. Once again, smart people at this club making smart decisions and putting people in the right places. Larry and JT, both amazing people, and one can't speak enough about what they do for this club. Chris, thoughts? I mean, it's good. You know what? I think that we have seen John Thornton and Larry Friedman perform well at their initial roles and in their interim roles since Tom Penn had left. And I think that it's going to be an exciting season. You know, we're getting fans back in the stands and things are kind of trending upwards in terms of uh, more of a normality, but I, I think it'll be good. The biggest takeaway is that the club had picked people that are passionate about this club and you know that there's a genuine interest that they have and because they've been here from the beginning there's a lot of that vested emotion attached to it and and it's good i'm i'm looking forward to seeing what jt and larry do for us well congratulations to the two of them assuredly speaking of two new lafc has two new sponsorship editions it's raining sponsors like crazy of late that love seeing the influx of capital into the team so lafc just announced a five-year partnership with pepsi co or pepsi beverages north america pbna they're the club's official carbonated soft drink so plenty of pepsi to go around at the bank pepsi also owns rockstar one of my favorite beverages there as well too so hopefully we get some of them yellow rock stars at the bank charge for second half over there in the north end we'll see lefc also announced a partnership for training kits chris your favorite kit The training kit is now going to be served by Nectar, which is a mattress company, which is very exciting. Hopefully, we get some discounts coming up. 
But aside from that beautiful label adorning your favorite kit, Chris, what do you guys think about the and Nectar joining the LAFC sponsorship? It's good. I think that it shows that this club is growing in popularity because we have added, you know, the Postmates on the shoulder sponsor. We had the Target sponsor last year. This year now we even have training kit sponsor. I think that that is just a definitely a, a sign that shows that there are brands that want to be associated with LAFC and what we have to offer. And it's, it just seems like that is something that is going to pay dividends uh, for LAFC in the future. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, obviously now our club and our fans are going to be hydrated. They have the opportunity to get be well rested and they have the tools to go to work with Flex. So what else do we need? Right. Money's coming in and hopefully it's invested not only in the, in the players, but the stadium and fan experience, supported experience. So LAFC has not let us down in any of those respects just yet. So the more capital comes in, like you, you both said, the better, in my opinion. Of course, this club does with that capital important as well, too. And LAFC has recently joined with five different California professional soccer clubs and the United Farm Workers Foundation to raise funds in support of farm workers here in California. We know those funds are going to go to the UFU Foundation's COVID-19 relief and vaccination efforts. So farm workers, and we certainly, that community has been hit so hard by covid to make sure that they are getting COVID care relief and the fact that there are vaccination efforts in place for our frontline workers, be it in a farm or field or be it in the community as well too. Those are certainly things that it's great to see LAFC extending that capital in positive directions. I'm happy, you know, obviously the community is bigger than any interleague or inter-sports or inter-city animosity. So I'm happy that California teams have come together to make sure that the lines of defense, the people that are picking our food, delivering it, have the resources they need so that they can get back to work in a safe way. And hopefully over time we can get back to normal or as close to it as possible. So happy that LAFC is contributing to be able to make that happen. In uh, other news, LAFC had a preseason match over this past weekend. It was a 2-2 tie against the New England Revolution. It was a closed door match to fans. There was some media presence there. And in the postgame match, Bob Bradley spoke about Kim Moon-Hwan and he had a, the knee injury is behind. And uh, my understanding is that that's as in it's behind him and that it's uh, no longer a concern. He did, he did make an appearance in the preseason match. And uh, Corey Baird, Carlos Vela, Diego Rossi combo, still not clicking that their timing is a bit off. So that just shows that uh, Danny Masofsky might be getting the starting game nod against Austin FC on the 17th, which I think we all kind of expected a little bit. Just knowing that there's that chemistry going into the new season, it would be interesting to see if they did change things up. But I, I didn't expect to see much of Corey Baird in the starting lineup initially. I think as LAFC fans, we're always very anxious to see our new players both get minutes and perform well. But Bob Bradley has never been someone to throw someone into a ton of minutes right away when they're a new addition to the squad. So, you know, with Kim Juan, that the 
injuries got him a little bit behind being ready to start. We know that, yes, that that injury has healed, but he's just not caught up to full fitness yet. I didn't really expect him to get first team minutes right away. By the end of the season, hoping he's a starter, absolutely. But that slow acclimation into the team is what Bob Bradley's for. And so I wouldn't be surprised with Baird. I also wouldn't be surprised with Moon as well, too. I know that's not something that people are super excited about. They really want to see him get out there. I think we're probably going to see a very similar lineup to last year, at least until we get a few games and a few more late in games into the season for these other new additions. I'm in agreement in regards to Moon, but in terms of Baird, Vela, Rossi, that combo, I'm expecting Mozovsky to be the start of this season. To be honest with you, I think... Baird and our other two wingers, Vela and Rossi, it's almost a variation of what Rayito is, where we have three wingers and players that can play in the middle. And I think the shifting of positions hasn't worked as well as it is in theory. Both Vela and Rossi kill it on, you know, the right and the left. So I prefer having a true striker with similar to what we had with Philip, with Wright Phillips and, and Dio before they both left. So because of that, I think Mozovsky works. I think he performed well at the CCL. So I I expect that position for him to to take that and be the starter. We got into some of this discussion, just a plug here for Dollar Black and Gold. If you guys uh, want to listen to my Spanish debut, I argue for this and they agreed. And um, it's what I think is going to take place this year. But I know that Baird comes with a, a bigger name, bigger signing. So uh, it's really up to him to take it. But that's not what I expect. Well, Danny had a bunch of goals for us last year. He had like nine, 10 goals. He's not someone that we should forget is an integral part of the squad. And as excited as I am about seeing Baird's speed and what that could mean counterattacks or, you know, through balls, you know, taking that express one route with him just running past anybody. He's faster than anybody in the league. It's going to take time for that to manifest. Those are totally new football ideas you're integrating into this. It just doesn't sound like something that's going to happen overnight for us. But speaking of developed recently, some news on the Las Vegas lights front involving LA. A couple names we recognize are going to be heading to the Vegas arena. CC Ute. So it's nice to see we had predictions that he was not going to sign with LAFC after draft. Now that we have a second team that we are partnering with, he's going to be able to go to Vegas and get some minutes. And good old friend Philip Ejima shows up with a contract for the lights as well, too. Fantastic see Edgy back in the system. We know he knows LAFC's style. He knows exactly what Bob Bradley wants out of him. So I think he's a perfect addition between the pipes for the Las Vegas lights to see those two players. One getting another chance and one getting a start with this club is not going to be just a short lived thing. And I think this spells a little bit of prediction into the future of what our super draft presence is going to be in future years. And that's the draft more fascinating. And of course, the Las Vegas Lights roster more fascinating, knowing that players are going to be involved with it personally. I agree. Looking forward for them to getting some minutes, because I think if they were to stay with the LAFC, that would not happen. So the development needs playing time and real competition. Yeah, it's good. You know, and uh, I think that having a player like Ejimadu who has been with LAFC can just start building that level of continuity with 
the Las Vegas lights, and it'll help with the transition of players being able to move back and forth under Steve Trundolo. There's also some rumors flying around. Frankie Amaya, who is a Los Angeles native, he was drafted by the Cincinnati FC. That was uh, in the Super Draft last year, I believe, in the 2019 Super Draft. He does not want to play in Cincinnati, and Cincinnati doesn't want to let him go. And there's a bit of this public battle with club over him leaving. Cincinnati is filing against other teams for tampering those teams, though. LAFC is not one of those teams that is being filed against for tampering. So it's interesting. You know, I think that that would be kind of like a fun player to come and play for LAFC. He's, you know, quite a good talent, did play very well for Cincinnati last year. It's just uh, interesting to see how this all plays out. That's awesome news for us if he is able to come for a couple of reasons. He was probably their only bright spot last year for Cincinnati. He was a game changer. Not hard to do for that team, but he, he I think he would do well in a lot of MLS clubs. Number one. Number two is something that I think is on the to-do list for LAFC this year is whether... They extend Atuesta or Salomon. There is a $4 million rumored price tag with some Brazilian teams, right? So if that deal gets done this summer, someone that I could see naturally filling in that role in terms of aggressiveness and playmaker ability, maybe not the defensive side, we could use one of our other midfielders to, to supplement that. But Frankie Amaya from a playmaking ability, I think could definitely help shore up the midfield He's only 20, he potential to sell on too. So if a trade could be worked for him to come home, I know he's from Orange County, that would be ideal. So LAFC, don't tamper, keep your mouth shut, let the deal come to us. That's what I'm saying. Obviously, we have a stacked midfield at the moment, but there is obviously the potential sale of an Atuesta on the horizon. Oh, look, Amaya is not an Atuesta, no disrespect to Amaya. Atuesta is at level, but... Amaya could grow into a player that plays a similar role for LAFC. And if we're able to get a player of his talent, it's going to take a healthy amount of Tam Gam to get him. But if the team is able to pull the trigger and bring him in, that would be really, really cool to see because he is a dynamic midfielder. At his young age, he's got a couple goals, a few assists. He's a quality player. Great midfield. would love to see him come over. As much as there's a desire for him to leave Cincinnati, Desire for LAFC to bring him in. It sounds like there's a lot of drama floating around it from the Cincy standpoint. They probably just wash their hands of it. It's going to be a bummer for them to lose one of their best players, though. So we'll see how that pans out. Just about ready to hop into our interview with Ben Chi. A couple things to touch on real quick before we speak to him. One is that Flex, of course, mentioned on last week's episode that there is going to be the truck and tool giveaway happening next week. Just remind you guys that on Monday the 12th, 5 p.m., all you got to do is go to www.xpowertools.com forward slash face off. And you can enter to win fools, enter to win that truck. And of course, watch the flex tools in action as they go up against competition. It was teased on last week's show. Would love to see that free gear going to an AFC fan. So please, everybody loves free stuff. Tune in, check out Flex. Let's so curious to see exactly who gets to win that truck. Hopefully me. And of course, a brass little thing real quick. Former guest of the show, wanted to send our congratulations to the Owasco family. Sean, who has been on the show before, just welcomed seven pound, six ounce Catalina into his world yesterday. Congratulations, brother. Catalina, 
welcome to the black and gold family you are from day one one of us and congratulations to the family absolutely With that, congratulations sean and you know we'll uh, be seeing you soon man congrats congratulations all right. So without further ado, we're going to get right into our interview with Mr. Ben Chi, who thank you again very much, sir. We really appreciate it. You coming on. For those of you who don't know, Ben Chi is the manager of the branding community with a focus on player relations and Korean community outreach with LAFC. He is also a marketing guru, fashionista, a blogger, a children's book author, Mr. Listamos himself, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ben Chi. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> wow. Hi. Thank you so much for the flattering introduction. I don't know if I fit into all those categories, but uh, I appreciate the hype nonetheless. Thank you. I got to have you write my Tinder bio. <laughs> Jonathan, that's all you, brother. That is all you. <laughs> if you want alliteration, similes, metaphors, uh, Jonathan's your man. That's all Jonathan. Yeah, it is. Oh, dude, I'll um, definitely hit you up. I'm really interested in this interview. I don't know the man behind... Ben Chi. So I'm really interested to know the beginning. So tell us about the beautiful game, how your first introductions to it. And we do have a little bit here about your uncle playing in Korea. So go ahead and just talk about that, your earliest memories. Uh, yeah. My earliest memories with the beautiful game is when, when I was living in Korea. I was living in Korea from when I was three years old to nine years old. And I spent a lot of time with my uncle and my aunt because my mom was always out on business trips and stuff like that. And so I had stayed over my aunt's house a lot and he was extremely athletic. I think he was around, I'd say maybe 50 around that time, 40 or 50, but he was playing soccer every weekend. And he would take me because he never had a son and he always wanted a son he kind of took me in and he kind of treated me like his own son. And he would take me to a lot of his neighborhood soccer tournaments and I would see him win medals and trophies. And we would watch soccer games together whenever it was available. And uh, he would buy me like, you know, like those blow up beach balls that had like soccer patterns on them and stuff like that. So that was kind of like my first introduction to soccer. And so what was it like coming to America after the age of nine and acclimating to the American culture here in Los Angeles after living abroad? You know, it's actually really interesting. I was actually telling this story to somebody else yesterday that I came and went to Disneyland for the first time. And I saw somebody in a tank top and I thought that they were naked. Like because of how different the dress code was, like somebody was wearing jean shorts and I literally thought that they were just wearing their underwear. Like I was like totally like freaked out. I tried Mountain Dew for the first time and a McDonald's breakfast burrito, the sausage breakfast burrito, which disappeared for a really long time after. I don't know if you guys remember that. I, I might be very telling on my age, but like a lot of that stuff, like Mountain Dew was amazing. Sausage burrito from McDonald's, amazing. I couldn't believe that you guys had a drive through, like a car that can go and then somebody just waits and then hands you like your food and you don't even have to go inside. It was completely bonkers. And the size of the soda cans in America compared to the size of the soda cans in Korea, that's like triple the size, you know? And I don't know the weather, there's a beach. And, you know, I remember eating like, you know, uh, Peruvian chicken. And I was just like, like, this is really, really awesome. Amazing. Like I, I tried El Pollo Loco for the first time and I was like, this is so good. Yeah, there's a lot of culture shock in terms of food. Also just, I guess, a lot of other things as well, really. When you came to the States, did you move into Koreatown? Is that kind of where you landed or yeah. was it some other part of LA? It wasn't Koreatown. 
I mean, I was born in LA, so I was born in Koreatown, and then I eventually made my way back into Koreatown. I lived on Third and Harvard. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's like it's pretty much in the thick of Koreatown. So. Got it. Sounds like you had a, a typical kind of upbringing in K-Town where it's a mix of all kinds of foods, cultures, languages. Was that a positive experience for you? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think it definitely helped me mold who I am as a person, positive or negative. I think some of the positive things for sure that I had was I was able to, you know, really get involved with a lot of different cultures firsthand. Like I came from a country where everybody was exactly like me and spoke exactly the same language. And I think coming here, the first like, real introduction to a different culture that I had was the Latinx culture. So like I had a lot of friends that were from, you know, Central America, Mexican, Salvadorians, Guatemalans. And, you know, they all taught me to say, obviously, the cuss words. And, you know, I tried hot Cheetos with cheese for the first time. And I was like, this is so spicy. What is this? Um, I can't believe cheese is not a single sheet. You know, a lot of things like that. Like it was just really, really interesting to really get involved in that. But obviously there comes some negative sides as well, too. Right. Like, you know, me being different. I mean, uh, if you guys ever get a chance to watch Joe Koi's stand-up comedy, it's like the most embarrassing thing to bring Korean food or Asian food to lunch. Like, yeah, sure. Right now, you know, rest in peace to Anthony Bourdain and all those crazy ass food critics who made, you know, Korean food more popular to people and more accessible and more knowledgeable. But dude, back then, if you had Korean food, Asian food, they were like, dude, it smells, get it away from me. And then that starts to kind of alienate you a little bit. And then you start to kind of hang out with a little bit more people that understand you. And then there's a little bit of a divide sometimes, you know, they call you names, they make fun of you, then they start to kind of go into the stereotypes and stuff like that. So there was definitely a plethora of experiences that I've had, but none that I would trade um, because, I mean, it definitely built who I am as a person. You would say I shaped you, like you said, um, you're living in Koreatown, but at some point that transitioned into a career in fashion. And we have a couple names here we wanted to mention where you have previously done work at Crooks and Castles kicks on the pitch and FC Dorsum, which is still something that we see pop up and you're still, you know, putting stuff out there, uh, which we admire. Can you talk about each one of those? Yeah. So Crooks and Castles came, I think it was the year 2014 or 13, I think. It came at a time where, you know, I worked around a lot of jobs for money. I think, you know, just being a minority, a lot of times there's a lot of pressure on you as a person of the household to kind of contribute or to pitch in financially. I did a lot of jobs that kind of did exactly that, but I found that my personality wasn't really the type of personality that can continue to have positive output and be able to maintain myself if I don't enjoy what it is that I do. And it was really difficult for me to figure out what it is that I wanted to do or nor necessarily what kind of skill sets I have to kind of sharpen those things into the path to help me kind of go down the path of where I wanted. And I took a few risks. And, and really went to a creative field in any way that in, in any way, shape or form I can. And, and I started there and there came an opportunity where I kind of parlayed that gamble into internship at Crooks and Castles. And when I took a internship at Crooks and Castles, I was like, I think I was like 24, 25. I probably was like their oldest intern in history. I got paid like literally, like I could have done any other job anywhere else. I could probably like picked up cans for a living and got paid more there well more than I got paid there uh, nonetheless like man it taught me so much it taught me how to you know set up lookbooks um, hire models hi- talk to photographers it also taught me to keep level-headed when I'm dealing with somebody that's a celebrity or just kind of how they move and how they function it also taught me how to throw events put together guest lists invite certain people talk to media outlets 
It also taught me how to do trade shows when we went to Vegas. It also taught me how to be responsible in terms of how much to party and how much to work. And then also how important it is to keep relationships and how much of that kind of has a very thin line where you're intermingling with people during partying, but that also is not just only partying, but builds relationships for the future. It taught me a lot of valuable lessons. And it also taught me the most important thing of all, I think, is to bet on yourself, you know, and that's what I learned from Crooks and Castles early on when I took the gamble before the position that I took at Crooks and Castles, it started to show me the fruits of my labor and how I've continued to kind of take a step forward into this journey that I didn't know that I could go down before. And, you know, speaking to that, there was a soccer tournament that was organized by the streetwear brand, The Hundreds, and they partnered up with, you know, uh, at that time, photographer uh, Van Styles, a couple of models, influencers and stuff like that. And then they brought together a whole bunch of people and they collaborated with Adidas and they threw this like influencer soccer tournament at Hollywood High. I got invited there because people on Fairfax kind of knew that I was somebody that was really into soccer. And I also had a friend that worked over at the brand. So he invited me out. And, you know, of course, me being me, I wear, you know, a Korea jersey and and, and a pair of Jordans. And I go there thinking that people are going to be relatively similar looking like how I am. And I get there. And of course, nobody is wearing a soccer jersey and nobody plays soccer. I'm, I'm standing over there in a corner and then comes this guy. He approaches me and says, hey, can I take a picture of you? And I mean, I don't really like taking photos of myself. So I was just like, uh, no, I'm OK. And then he was like, no, it's for like this, you know, blog that I have, blog, website, Instagram, media outlet that I have called Kicks to the Pitch. It's a platform that intersects the world of soccer, music, art and fashion. And I was just kind of like, wow, that sounds someone like me. So I was just like, OK, sure, you know, go for it. He's like, OK, I won't put your face in it. So he takes a photo and he's like, I'll tag you. So he tags me. And then I kind of sat there and I pondered. I was like, hey, you know, the person that you're talking about or the person that you want to reach out to is someone like me. And I happen to also be in a position where I'm working in streetwear. I've worked in fashion. I know about music. I know about art. These are all things that I do for my job, as well as having a, an interest in it. So if there's any way that we can work together, let me know. And he was like, yeah, cool. Like if, if there's ever an opportunity, I'll let you know. And he then messaged me a couple of days later and told me that there's an opportunity for me to work on a project uh, for Nike and the U.S. men's national team. It was in 2016 where they were playing in San Antonio and it was against Mexico. It was actually a game where Jordan Morris made his debut and he scored in that game. So they wanted to put it together an activation with sneakers, art and music uh, for the fan zone in San Antonio. and. He was like, hey, like, we would love to have you, but the only thing is, like, we can't pay for your flight. But if you get down here, food and everything will be paid for. So I felt like something kind of calling to me. I quit my job at Crooks, and I spent the last, like, the little bit that I had of my paycheck to fly myself out there. And that's kind of like how I continued my journey with Kicks to the Pitch. And then how I ended up getting with LAFC was... With Kicks to the Pitch, we were commissioned to put together a pop-up shop for the very first time when PSG was coming to North America for their tour. And then they, their hub was in LA. So we put together the entire pop-up. We designed it completely from scratch. We designed all of their collaborative merchandise. We also identified all the streetwear brands and different uh, artists and people to collaborate with. And we basically put together this entire project of PSG's um, marketing strategy and also their merchandise goods and stuff like that in LA. And we did it on Fairfax at the 7th Gallery. 
And LAFC at that time was doing their due diligence and studying the market and how, you know, soccer communities work and what ways soccer brands and companies and market, what is authentic to LA, what people are looking for. So they came to the pop-up store and that's where I met Rich and we stayed in touch. And then later on that kind of snowballed into me being able to have an opportunity to work at LAFC. Sorry, I know that was a long ramble, but that's what happened. No, no, it's great. It's great. We, we love hearing the stories. That's what this is all about. So from first initial conversations at this pop-up event with Rich, like through the hiring process, was it like being named, you know, the club's first merchandising manager under that brand and community? And what was that initial day one on the job through to our firm experience like? Because you got to help build this brand from scratch. So describe those experiences for the listeners so they can understand what went on behind the scenes as you were building the brand and it is. Uh... Um, yeah, to be fair, I can't say that I helped build the brand from scratch because I had come in after the logo had been created. Our crest has been revealed. Our colors were already there. I think that it would be wrong for me to take credit from that standpoint. I think everything from then on that I worked in, like after we had come in, that is something that maybe I could have contributed to. When I came in, it wasn't necessarily the fact that, you know, there was like this big need for merchandise and we already had identified that. I think Rich had known what he wanted to achieve. He knew that he wanted to get there and he wanted to have as many pieces to that puzzle as possible so that when the opportunity came, then he was able to apply those pieces where he saw fit and and when and how. And I think that I happen to be a piece of that puzzle, um, thankfully. So when I first came in, you know, we did everything, anything grassroots related. We threw, you know, you know, we hosted Man United supporter clubs, Chelsea supporter clubs at the Experience Center at that time. I was in conversations for jerseys. I was in conversations for outreach. How are we going to get more people uh, to have brand awareness for LAFC? And just coming from a background of what, a lot of people consider quote unquote cool or in the fashion or in the music or in that kind of industry. I think I was able to kind of bring a different type of perspective and really be able to kind of add in my opinion and my viewpoints and, and my and my flavor and color at a very transitional time where LAFC had already introduced their branding, but was now taking it to a different level beyond headwear and, and beyond just the jersey. They were looking for a plan to really roll out with something that people could really resonate with and create a brand that people really treasure and and, and really are proud of. So early on, you're working with brands like Adidas and Addicts. You also have to work with, you know, some challenging entities like (laughs) the MLS and the people that oversee these various leagues in which LAFC participates. It's one thing to work in Rich's office knowing how he operates, but what's dealing with all these other entities in football and and establishing the relationships between LAFC and some of these? That's a great question. I think the most simple way to put it, I think it's that it's a challenge, you know, because creativity is subjective and it's never about who's right or who's wrong, or it's not about who knows more or who knows less. It's just oftentimes about, you know, what's best for the brand, what's best for the club. And, you know, and I think that I struggled with that in the beginning because, you know, there were so many different people and and so many different parties and opinions that were circulating around everything, you know, and a lot of times where I come from like Crooks and Castles or, or Kicks to the Pitch, 
you know, we had a lot more freedom because working for a club like LAFC is writing a book, right? You're not just writing one page or one chapter. You're continuously writing a book that is forever. You know, it's, there's no end to the book. But when you're working for a, like an agency like Kicks the Pitch that gets commissioned for a single project, or when you're working for Crooks and Castles, that's like a season by season basis of different clothes and different concepts and designs, you're writing a chapter into something that already exists. So I think that that was a big challenge for me because I wanted to do something that may seem cool or may seem great at the moment, but maybe it wouldn't fit the big picture of what LAFC was trying to achieve. And I think that when I sat down with conversations with MLS, Adidas, Fanatics, you know, even internally, it's about being able to have everyone see that the bigger picture and the most important thing in achieving all of this is not, in fact, our opinion or it's not, in fact, you know, uh, their opinion or their designs or their outlook or their photos or their things. It's more so about just what we want to achieve as a club together. And what is going to be the best representation of what our fans want and what is going to be the best representation of what the club feels like is important and finding the balance in that. Does that mean that everyone gets it right at all the time? No, I'm pretty sure there are some things that you guys see online that you guys are like, wow, I don't like that. How did, how did that fall through the cracks of approval and stuff like that? But there are so many different, you know, things that play into the decisions that get made every day, it's not very simple as a yes or no all the time, you know? So it was just challenging. It, it, and it's always going to be challenging to do something like merchandise in anywhere, whether it's for LAFC, whether it's for Manchester United, or whether it's for Ross or JCPenney. It's always, always a challenge. In your work with merchandising with LAFC, you got to debut a few different things, but two of things that we would to touch on it. And certainly you were involved in, you know, scarves and apparel and so many other things coming out early in LAFC's merchandising history. But the Lee Win launch, and then more recently, the Korean apparel that's come out, we know that those two events were very unique and historic in that, you know, and so many things that it does with its merchandising are pushing some of those cultural boundaries. And kind of what are the conversations behind the scenes leading up to those? And how does an execution like that and its impact on the community and not just being about merchandising, being about culture and integration and so many other bigger picture ideas. And yet you've been a part of many different executions of different events like this. You take us through you know, the ideation behind that and the execution of those cross-cultural community events with merchants? Um, yeah, wow. I mean, I think you're probably better suited to answer the question than I am. Such an articulate way of putting it. It makes me sound so great. I, I would say that the conversations always start from a point of what are we trying to achieve? Like, what is the reason why we're trying to do this, right? And, you know, I think what LAFC does so well is find a way to represent the community find a way to make the voices be heard and i think i say this very often but clothing has a very unique way of giving people power right people think that clothing is like and and, and i can totally understand why there's a lot of vanity in it there's a lot of transactional things tied to merchandise and clothing and apparel and stuff like that. But also it provides a lot of power. You know, that's why people put on suits when they go to, or a certain attire when they go to interviews, certain people dress for certain ways and occasions 
some people are able to identify certain people because of the way that they dress. Some people are able to relate and have conversations and build relationships simply because of a hat or simply because of a jersey. Uh, everything is just like it's a symbol. It's expression. It's it's the way that you put t- things together. It says a lot about your personality. And because of that reason, I think that one of the most important things and some things that we live with every single day, along with clothing, is who we are as people. And who we are as people is our ethnicity, our culture, our language, and something that we always have. So I think that, you know, naturally that fits in very well together with what I just mentioned about voices being heard, people giving power to what they wear, and also being able to have creativity and expressionism through those kind of things. With that said, I think we wanted to highlight a player that not only has done a lot for, you know, the American soccer game, and the national team and MLS as a league, but has also probably done a lot for the people that watch him growing up. Like, wow, Lee Wynn looks like me. And there aren't that many Asian players in MLS. And there hasn't been that many MLS uh, Asian players in the MLS. So being able to watch him and have him be closer to a largely populated Vietnamese area, like I think that it was a conversation that that was a no-brainer. It, it needed to be had. This story needed to be told. This country, this culture, this language needed to be celebrated. And that was kind of like what we thought about doing when we partnered up with Lee. And this is how sometimes things come full circle is when that gamble of an opportunity that I took in order to get to the creative field was me working at a small social media agency that was doing marketing for small businesses. And at that time, Boiling Crab was a small business. And we had built up a relationship with Boiling Crab during that job. And then six years later, it brought back into where I knew that the owners of Boiling Crab were Vietnamese and they had locations in Little Saigon. And then they also were very, very proud that they were Vietnamese. They are, had already heard about Lee. And they were very, very proud to see someone like them on the field. Some of the owners, daughters and sons played soccer. And it was such a natural, seamless way for us to be able to bring food, culture, sports all together in, in, in really one event. And, you know, I think that sometimes I become jaded and sometimes other people become jaded, you know, especially when there's so much content out there. There's so much news. There's so much information to digest. So sometimes we kind of forget how you know, pivotal, some moments that are insignificant looking to us can be, you know, some couple, couple of kids came and got to chat with Lee Wynn, got to meet him, got his signature. And, you know, having those memories for those kids, having those experiences for those parents, all that also make it so much more realistic and obtainable uh, that something like that can be replicated with them too, you know. And was it a similar story with the Korean merchandise? Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, you know, I think, you know, I, of course, me being Korean, I have a lot of pride in being Korean. I think that Koreans are a large part of the Los Angeles community. I think that just like any other Asian culture, where a lot of times we don't have as big of a voice that I feel like we can have. And I think that we don't have as many platforms as, as we should a lot of times. And I think that the beautiful thing about celebrating the Korean collection was not for only the Korean community. And, and I said this when we, when we first signed Moon, is that this is not about just only the Korean community. Sure, the focal point at that moment is about the Korean community, 
but it's about inspiring every part of the community that doesn't feel like they have a platform, that doesn't feel like that they have a voice, that they do, that we can have a collection like the Korean collection come out at HQ in the stadium with fans, with people that are there to watch the traditional Korean drum line drumming. And so many people in that crowd was not Korean. And for me, when you look at that, we're not celebrating the Korean community per se. We're celebrating the diversity and the community that gets brought together through the focal point of the Korean collection at that time. And for me, you know, that night was extremely special. I'm sure not only me, but to so many people because it reaffirms what we're doing here. It reaffirms that we all have a chance. We all have a voice. We all have the opportunity to be heard. And LAFC has been the platform that has allowed a lot of these voices to be heard. You know, So we know that a lot goes into planning for some of this merchandising because of approvals and different voices and being able to have those conversations ahead of time. So the approvals are in time for things to get manufactured, et cetera. So a couple of questions here. What is your 2021 outlook, number one? And can you talk about or describe your new role? Sure, 2021 outlook on what specifically? Whatever you want to talk about. Well, I mean, year. I think we're, we're asking kind of what the new position is going uh-huh. to be like and what is your outlook in 2021 for that position, right? We know that you have a new role with the club that you're now going to be involved specifically within Korean community outreach and player relations. So, you know, spell it out for us what you're looking to accomplish this year in that role. So I guess the question is kind of two part one, you know, sort of describe to the fans who are unaware of your new role, what it's manifested itself to be so far. And then what's your outlook for this year with that role? Yeah. So the role change. uh, Yeah. A lot of my role right now is really helping Moon get, assimilated to the different culture, the different playing style, the challenge in language, the challenge in the change of scenery. So I do a lot of interpreting for him. You know, we watch videos together. We are, you know, I'm at his hip pretty much all the time at the training center. If there are certain tactics that need to be discussed, if there are certain directions or things that need to be said, if there are certain moments during training that needs to be addressed or highlighted, Those are kind of like the things that I help with. If there's, you know, I mean, you name anything that requires, you know, for him to be able to understand something, those are kind of like the things that I handle right now. Even outside from a soccer perspective, I think me and him developed a good relationship. So for him to feel like, because it's a very, very challenging thing to come to a new country that you don't speak the language and to not have anybody else that looks like you or speaks the language that you speak can be very intimidating. And, you know, I think working with Moon very closely and being around him has really, really made me understand why it's so difficult for players generally to adapt to a new league or to to a new country or new language. It's not easy. It's actually very, very daunting in a sense. So I think that me as a fan, like looking at it from outside perspective, like, you know, you bring in a marquee signing to the Premier League or La Liga or somewhere and you see certain players that don't work out and you're like I don't get why all the money in the world cannot make this person or like oh you get paid two hundred thousand dollars I would you know do
do backflips and score five goals every single game if I got paid that much money. But in reality, it's really, really not that easy. So in all aspects of it, I tried to make him feel as comfortable as possible. I also tried to translate a lot of the conversations that his teammates have with him and, you know, kind of helping him understand the culture of the club. All in the meanwhile, trying to have him develop organic relationships with his teammates on the meanwhile not speaking uh the same language so that's kind of like my role yeah and then the uh the other side of it um, which is kind of looking into the korean community i think we're looking to kind of really really bring in different elements of the korean culture into the lafc community whether that be from a partnership standpoint or whether that be you know through events or whether that would be through you know maybe korean community leaders or Korean initiatives or Korean things that are going on in the Los Angeles city and county. Like those are all things that we kind of want to be a part of because we want a valid representation of what LA looks like. And I know that my role has kind of changed with the arrival of a Korean player, but this is something that has been important to LAFC even before the Korean player has arrived. It's not, you know, I know some people may be like, oh, you know, this is, totally like a marketing thing, Korean, every sport does it, you know, such and such. But I think LAFC is one of the, I can't speak for any other sports clubs, but I think that LAFC is very, very authentic and genuine about their interest in representing every single possible community in LA, if in in, in any way that, that they know how. They just so happen to have a Korean person and a Korean player now that can kind of bring that into a little bit of a uh, of a closer vicinity. To go back to, you know, your relationship with Moon and, and helping him acclimate, did you guys uh, at any point think to reach out to the Dodgers because they've had a history of having Korean players here and just kind of see what sort of things they might have done to try and help acclimate those players uh, in previous years? Yeah, absolutely. We have, I think that LAFC is extremely good about asking questions and being very curious and also kind of not being afraid to raise their hand and say, hey, we need help on something. And, you know, those are all good advices that we've gotten from the Dodgers. And obviously we share ownership. So we have a good relationship with the club. And I think that if we were to follow in the footsteps of a sports team, it would be one that has actually had relationships with Korean players and Korean companies and Korean communities and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's been extremely helpful. And how has Moon been acclimating? I know, you know, some of us got the opportunity to meet him initially when the player was being announced, but that was still when he was in Korea. And, you know, there isn't much that has come out in the way of interviews or correspondence so much so from the journalists or from the club. So, I mean, can you just speak on how how is he enjoying uh, Los Angeles and the club and and just anything in general that you can talk about in terms of uh, Moon? Sure. He loves the weather. He said that this is amazing that he gets to wake up every day and drive and play under uh, weather as such, uh, like we have. And I agree, we have the best weather in the world, in my opinion. He loves Mexican food. He absolutely loves Mexican food. It's ridiculous how much he loves Mexican food. He's developed a pretty big appetite for hamburgers. So he loves fries and going to eat hamburgers and stuff like that. So I think overall, He loves L.A. Um, He really, really does. And he because he eats at the training center a lot, he gets to try a lot of different foods. So, you know, a lot of it is very new for him. And I haven't really heard him complain about the food in L.A. once. So food and weather is 
and is extremely important to getting acclimated to a new surrounding. There's nothing but positive things that he's felt for LA since he's gotten here. That's great news. Hopefully he can feel well soon and we'll cover that like we covered in the news and notes. Um, but we're looking forward to his contribution on the pitch. From the highlight reels that we saw before he arrived, there's a lot of things that we see, attributes that would be good for the club to take advantage from his skill set. So very happy that he's been able to join the team. A fun question for you, you know, pod fam, we, we cross-listen, obviously, and on the heart of LAFC podcast last week, Marcus and Pat were on the podcast, but Marcus did uh, kind of mention your name, and I don't know if you are aware of this, but he he says if there was a starting five aside consisting of LAFC front office or staff, that you would be his first pick, but as a coach. So how do you take that? Is that a, a positive, negative? <laughs> um. I would say that's a positive. I think, well, first of all, I don't know if anybody else would want to coach a five-a-side because, you know, we've actually really done it with the association. I don't know if you guys remember. I coached that team. But I think that being a little bit closer to watching a lot of our players play and watching video and stuff like that, I think I'll be better suited to coach them this time around than I was last time. So I'll definitely take that as a compliment as somebody who has a little bit more insight to the game now in a technical aspect than I did before. Going back to what you recently mentioned, because you're translating for Moon, I feel like you have a lot more insight into like Bobism and his style of play because you're explaining some of these tactics to him. So it might be well-suited for you this next five-a-side tournament that comes up where the front office is involved, that you are a coach, maybe a player coach, who knows? But uh, I mean... I got the hair cut down, so I think that we're, we're, we're almost there. I think that, you know, I won't be able to, I don't see myself managing any national teams or taking them to the World Cup and having as many accolades as Bob does, but uh, I'll be happy with, uh, with a small participation trophy for the, uh, for the front office. Thank you. So you've been very generous with your day. This is normally where we would transition to our final question, but I, I would kind of like to break our final question in parts today. Be it that you are involved in community outreach, with certainly an emphasis both personally in your own experience and of course role for LAFC with relationships between our community here in Los Angeles and of course American and Pacific Islanders. And normally at this point in time, we would ask about you and what shoulder means to you. But prior to that question, I was curious if you could say to us who are not of that community, how do we stand shoulder to shoulder with the community that has experienced so much hate? Man, First of all, I would really like to thank you for asking such an important question. I think that it's not an easy question to ask. It's definitely probably not a popular question to ask at, at certain times, but I'm very grateful that you're using your platform to ask such a difficult question. So I would like to thank all of you guys for asking that question and actually really even taking that into consideration. I would really, really like people for them to be honest with themselves and really have an open dialogue with yourself and a conversation about how we've contributed to the systematic racism that has already been placed for us. Because if we continue to blame the system for why we're being racist, we're taking ourselves out of the equation of why this racism continues to float and continues to circulate throughout all the people. With the way that I look at it is, I see a lot of people posting about it and I see a lot of people talking about it digitally, socially, and those are all great things. But a lot of the times the conversations that are being had is more so about blaming the system that has pinned minorities against each other, rather than really looking deep within ourselves and saying, hey, how did we contribute to the system that was built for us to fail? Because us failing when a system has built for us to fail is natural. 
it is absolutely according to the agenda. But for us, in order for us to break that system, in order for us to break that stride of how things have been continuously going, we have to have honest conversations with ourselves. We can't continuously blame somebody else for continuously perpetuating and making the system that is advantageous for them. Of course, they're going to because it's advantageous for them. But for us, if we're the people with the shorter end of the stick, if we're the people that are suffering, we can't continue to blame the people that are making it like that for us. We have to look at it and say, how are we making it shorter end of the stick for other people? How are we, how am I as an Asian person contributing to the racism or the bigotry or the ignorance or the stereotypes of black people? How are black people contributing to the short-sightedness, to the ignorance, to the stereotypes, to the brown community? How are people that are Hispanic or the brown community contributing to the racism or the systematic oppression that are going on to other people? Like we all have to coexist with each other. And if we have this whole mentality of continuously saying, hey, it's them, it's not us. We never meant for it to be this way. This is the reason why we hate each other. There's only so much that we can control, but if we don't even control what we can control, then there's no way that we're gonna get out of what we need to get out of. It really tires me to hear people, and maybe this is me coming from a privileged standpoint. I don't know, you know? Do I have privilege? I'm pretty sure I do, you know? There, are there other people that are speaking out that have privilege? Absolutely. The fact that I can sit in a room full of a hundred pairs of sneakers or whatever, that is absolutely unnecessary is privilege. There's people that have different types of privileges everywhere. There's people that have different deficiencies everywhere. But at the same time, what we're looking at is the commonality is that we're all contributing to the system that has been built for us to fail. So we have to identify like, hey, let's stop blaming everybody else for a quick second. And let's look deep within myself. Let's look within my community. What are we doing? What are the comments that I'm seeing? What are the habits that I've had? What are the cultural okays that are not okay what are the culturals not okays that should be okay what are we looking at it here if we continue to say well the, my culture taught me this my system taught me this my language taught me this my friends taught me this when is there a time where we're going to be able to say well i still did it i'm still doing it i haven't done anything about it i'm not changing anything because if that doesn't happen then yes we can say, I stand with you, I feel your pain, but you're not feeling why they're feeling the pain because you're not looking at why you're contributing to that pain. And if you don't figure that out, then what are you really understanding? What are you really standing behind? You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that's- no, That makes sense. I would vote for you. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you for touching on what is uh, it's a difficult subject to brace, especially at this period in time with things that are going on across the United States right now. Very sad to see. We do have one last for you today, sir, uh, and thank you. And that is, of course, Benji, what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you? You know, I think I, I never really, really heard or used the term phrase shoulder to shoulder until I got to LAFC. When I first got here, I didn't really know what it meant. To me, it was a neck tape on a jersey. It was a slogan, a campaign, so to say. But I think it really, really broke that misconception for me the more and more I started working at LAFC. I remember all the events that we had where we would have hundreds of supporters come 
from all over the place, 60 miles, 100 miles, 200 miles. Some people from Australia, Japan, anywhere you can think of, come, no game, no player, no coach, no team. All the internet banter you can possibly think of, of how plastic you are because you don't have a stadium, because you don't have results, because you don't have titles, everything that you can possibly think of. And when people show up, they don't show up for themselves, they show up for each other. And for me, I think I really, really learned a lot from what a community looks like because of LAFC. And so in short, if you ask me what shoulder to shoulder means, I'll always, forever, for as long as I live, will always correlate that with LAFC. But in a deeper level than that, it means that I correlate shoulder to shoulder through the community and the people and the people that make the club. Because LAFC is the symbol that we all come together for, but the things that come together are the people. And that's what shoulder to shoulder means to me. I think it's the people of LAFC and the community of LAFC. Thank you, sir. Once again, we sincerely appreciate you joining us this evening. Everybody knows she, everybody knows where to find him. Once again, he is our manager of brand and community with a focus on player runs and Korean community outreach. Mr. Benji, thank you so much for everything you've done for this club, for this brand, for this community. Bless you, sir. And thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. No, thank you guys. I can't be ramble on for this long. So I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. On behalf of Chris, Christian, sound engineer, Wilton, and myself, thank you all for listening tonight. Take us home, Sticks.